Bible, if you would, let's go to Psalm chapter number 71. Psalm chapter number 71 in your Bible. I'm, I'm kind of glad that I'm preaching this tonight because I'm feeling great. Um, I wasn't feeling all that great last time and I, I was going to try to come and push through it. But uh, I, I really didn't want to preach this passage feeling no energy and confused a little bit in my head and all the rest of that. And God, God's been really good to me this week. I feel... Uh, Phenomenal. I'm still working some of those antibiotics out of my system, but I feel much better than I expected to. And uh, I'm happy about preaching this tonight because this is a passage of Scripture uh, that's meant a whole lot to me over the years. And uh, so I, I'm looking forward to getting into it. The Bible says in Psalm 71, verse number 1, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness, and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me, and save me. Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given commandment to save me. Thou art my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. By thee have I been holding up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thine honor all the day. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. Please skip down with me for the sake of time to verse number 17. The Bible says, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to every one that is to come. If I had a second life verse, it would be that one, number 18. I've, I've considered switching my life verse off and every time I've tried, I just haven't felt right about it. My life verse is Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Uh, I get tempted to switch that one off because of what it means. <laughs> I want to know him, but the fellowship of his suffering gets a little, you know, sometimes you wonder. I can't switch it, but if I could, that would be the verse. Let's pray. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you for the privilege that it is to be here. Thank you for all the folks that made the effort to come on out tonight after work and a busy day and with work tomorrow morning. And uh, God, I just, I just appreciate them being here. And I pray now that you'd show up. I pray that you'd get in this message. I pray you'd give them something, uh, something eternal, something helpful, something, God, that would um, make the time spent and the effort given to be here seem as nothing in comparison to what you did for them. Help us out tonight, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. From this chapter, I want to preach to you tonight on being delivered from confusion. Being delivered from confusion. Look at verse number one, the second part of the verse. He said, let me never be put to confusion. Have you ever been confused when you're serving God? I have. You ever had things like not work out like you thought they would or should? You ever had things you thought for sure were right and this is how it's going to happen and everything you thought is not what's happening and it doesn't make any sense? Do you know that's not what this passage is talking about? (laughs) 
Isn't that wild? You look at the word confusion and the first thing you do is you and I jump to the conclusions of what we believe those words mean. Do you realize that you live in a day and age where we don't even understand English anymore? You can go ahead and change the Bible all you want, but you actually go so much farther away from understanding anything God is saying when you begin changing the Bible. You don't have a cotton-picking chance of figuring out what God's got in there for you, and God's got some gold in this chapter for you to help you out as a Christian, to get you from here to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, and you can't do that on your own, not in a way you want it, not getting there with some gold, silver, and precious stone, not getting some victory in your Christian life, you can't do that without figuring out that book in your lap and knowing what God can do for you. That word confusion in your Bible, I'm not going to show you the passages because they're extremely graphic and we got some kids in this room. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the passages. But the first two times the word confusion shows up in your Bible, you can look at them later. It's Leviticus 18.23 and Leviticus 20 verse 12. And in both of those passages, it's talking about moral debauchery that goes beyond anything, really beyond anything imaginable. And it's stuff that's actually beginning to surface now, even in high schools and junior high schools, that I just don't want to say in this room, and I preach against a lot of stuff from this pulpit, but we're talking about wickedness and debauchery on a level that just defies common sense and shows you a devil possession and a wickedness going on in people's minds and hearts. The first two times the word shows up. Confusion in your Bible, as defined by the Bible, has to do with sin. Now, I saw a couple of you go, oh. You know homosexuality is confusion. Do you know all sin is confusion? You know what I want God to do for me? I want God to deliver me from confusion. Like we were preaching about Sunday morning, I want God's help in delivering me from the confusion. Let me not be put to shame. I don't want the, the sin and the mess and the frustration. Hey, listen, a tall poem is confusion. A tall marriage is confusion. Rebellious children against their parents is confusion. A Christian that, that's trying to have one foot in the world and one foot in church, it's absolute confusion. God deliver me from confusion. Webster's 1828 is a great source. If you don't have one, you need to buy one and make sure you don't get the modern, updated, abridged, whatever. They, get the old Webster's 1828 dictionary. That'll define these words and you'll find Noah Webster oftentimes uses scriptures in there to help define the words. It's a great source for you. And Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary gives you a definition of confusion like this. A mixture of several things promiscuously. Meaning just like throwing things together that, that shouldn't be together. It's, it's a promiscuous, it's a free mixing up of stuff. It's messy. It's confusion. Hence, disorder, irregularity, tumult, a want of order in society, blending or confounding. Deliver me from confusion. In other words, 
I'm called unto good works. I'm called to holiness. I'm called to serve God. I'm called to be dedicated to Him. I'm called to lay my life on the altar, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is my reasonable service. That's what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And yet, confusion is, I'm called to be doing these things and the Spirit of God wants me, and all that is in me, but at the same time, I'm over here dabbling around in the world. I'm over here wanting to flirt with things that I ought not be flirting with. I'm wanting to mess with things I ought not be messing with. And and there's a sinful side of me. Listen, the confusion is when you put both of those things in a Christian who's supposed to be serving Jesus Christ, and then you allow them to kind of have that constant, you ever feel that kind of confusion? How many of you, don't raise your hand, don't, you know, start testifying out loud, okay? Amens and yes sirs are fine, but, but let's not go any farther than that. But listen to me. How many of you have ever felt like, man, I want to do right. I should be doing right. I'm miserable doing wrong. I know this is wrong. This needs to stop. And yet you still keep dabbling in the sin. You still keep stumbling up and messing up and playing. You still keep enjoying your sin. It's confusion. And you're going to stay a mess until you get God's help straightening it out. You got to get on point. There comes a time in your Christian life you've got to get on point. There comes a time in your Christian life that you don't use the excuse that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, and so it's always going to be like this. Yes, you're always going to struggle, but you understand what I'm talking about, not to the point where you're living two different lives at one time. Making sense to you? It's an indistinct combination, a blending or confounding. It's abasement, shame, overthrow. You know the devil wants to overthrow your walk with Jesus Christ. You do know that. Defeat, ruin, a shameful blending of natures. Your old nature and your new nature. And confusion is when you shamefully blend the two. Now that's convicting. You know, there comes a time in your Christian life where it may not be all the youthful lusts of the flesh, but you might just be just an ungracious person. You might just be an unforgiving person. You might just be a bitter person. You might just be an overly judgmental individual. You might just be a self-righteous person. You might just be a cranky, cantankerous, rude, ignorant. It's a, it's a wrong nature. It's not the Spirit of God. It's a shameful blend. God, deliver me from that confusion. I want to be a faithful man. I want God's help in being a consistent man. I want to walk with God and be God's man every day of my life, every moment of every day. I want to be faithful. I want people to know what to expect out of me. And I want God's help in not going back. And my tendency is to be two different individuals. My tendency is to have my feet in two different worlds. My tendency is to continue to get tripped up in the same things I've always done wrong. And your tendency is going to be the same thing. And what we need is a God that can deliver us from confusion. Notice the psalmist in verse number 2. He says, deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Verse number four, deliver me, O my God, 
out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. Look at verse number 12. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. I want to take a look at Psalm 71 and and the psalmist's attitude toward God and his desire for deliverance. I want to notice three different things. Notice, first of all, this man had a habit of resorting to the Lord. If you and I are going to be delivered from confusion, number one, we need to learn where to resort. In verse number three, be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Listen, the only way you and I will ever get real, true, genuine victory over sin. I don't believe in sinless perfection. I don't think you're ever going to get there until you get your glorified body. But I do believe that we can live a victorious Christian life. I do believe we can keep short accounts with God. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean that there's not this long list of things because you've been living wrong for so long, you don't even realize what's right or wrong anymore and how far you are from God and how far He is from you in your relationship. I mean, I believe you can get to a point where you're walking with the Lord and when you mess up, you immediately notice the difference and you get that thing right where you get a sensitive conscience to where things bother you that years ago would have never even bothered you that you're recognizing things that are displeasing to God I'm talking about really having a joyful walk with Jesus Christ a pure strong relationship hey we need to get there and the only chance we have of getting there is continually resorting to him I will tell you right now you don't have the strength I don't have the strength And I'm telling you, the longer you go in life, it's reality, the less strength you actually have. Now, that's physical, right? And we get that. And I understand there's a maturing level that builds a a tenacity or an understanding as you get older. You'll notice a lot of times older folks, if they've been through things, don't tend to overreact, don't tend to get as panicky, tend to kind of... If they're really strong and they're walking, they kind of seem to take things a little bit more in stride. I get that there's a strength there. But the thing that I've noticed about that when I talk to older folks, because if I find an older folk that I think has been walking with God and has some level of victory in their life, I figure out how to get them talking. You know what I notice about them? They're actually a lot weaker than you think they are. They'll tell you, man, getting old ain't for sissies. Life gets harder, not easier. You know what you and I are? We're weak. The quicker you learn that and really believe that and then respond properly to that fact, the better off you're going to be. You'll continually resort to your source of strength. It's in the passage. He realizes that without God, he's not going to make it. He realizes that without the presence of God, he doesn't have the power to sustain himself. He needs a place to run to in verse number, in verse number two. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Cause me to escape. He needs somebody to get to where he knows when he gets there, he can get the help he needs. Hey, he realizes God is not in heaven waiting to kick him in the face when he shows up every time he messed up. 
I'm sick of church being that way. When you mess up, if you want help, this is the place to get your help. Don't come in here and flaunt your sin in our face and think we're going to just roll over and play dead. I'm talking about somebody struggling and wanting help, wanting deliverance from confusion. God's the one to get to. There ought to be a place you can go to get the help you need to get out of that mess. To knock it off. A place to run in trouble. A place of strength beneath him. He says, Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I continually resort. Thou hast given commandment, for thou art my rock. (laughs) How are you so strong? (laughs) I'm not. But I'm planted on the rock. You see what he's saying? He's saying there's something under me that keeps me from sinking. It's Jesus Christ. Continually resorting to Him. Continually learning to reach out to Him. Continually imploring Him and begging Him and seeking Him. When you mess up, that's not the time to cut God off. That's the time to run to Him. So many people just, you know, they start messing up and so they disappear. Well, where were you? Well, I've been struggling. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Hey, if you're struggling, this is the place to come. Why? Because that confusion shows that there's two different natures going on. That confusion, that shows that you're not actually reprobate. The conviction shows that God's not done with you. The feeling of guilt and the feeling of frustration and the feeling of disappointment that you've disappointed others, that you've disappointed God, that you've disappointed the church, that you, that's a sign that you're not dead spiritually. That's a time to get to God and say, I need help. I need something strong underneath me. He's your rock. Notice something else in the same verse, and my fortress. Not only is he the strength beneath you, but he's the strength around you. He's my fortress. I'm telling you right now, the devil hates you, and I know this for a matter of fact, the devil hates me. And the people that follow the devil and that follow the world and that follow the flesh, they would love nothing more than to watch me fall. Nothing more. Nothing would thrill them more than to see me lose my faith in Jesus Christ. I can't lose my soul, but they'd love to see me lose my faith. Oh, I've had a debate with me, trying, I mean, just snarky kind of attitude, arrogant kind of spirit, just trying to just trying to punch holes in what I believe. Has absolutely nothing to do with them being under conviction. Has nothing to do with them wanting to pick my brain. Has nothing to do with a good debate. I've had them come at me where you can just see the evil spirit in them. Just a desire to undermine everything God's doing. You know what I got? You know what I need? I need a fortress. That's where you got, that's God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. You run to Him, you're safe. He'll deliver you. I know for a fact God can deliver a man from sin. I know for a fact God can bring a man out of a mess. I've watched him do it and I've seen him do it for me. I've seen plenty of them go back. Boy, it's heartbreaking watching people go back to their old ways. It's heartbreaking watching them get back on the drugs and get back in the fornication and get back in all the things God got them out. It's absolutely heartbreaking because they wrecked their own lives. Hey, genius, you're going to get old. 
Why don't you stop when you're young and think about the decisions you're making and the impact they're going to have on you 20 years from now? The things that are important to you won't be important then. But you'll still have to reap what you sowed. You need God to help deliver you from that because I'm telling you, you live in a world filled with enemies everywhere wanting to drag you down and wreck your life. They want to destroy you. Notice not only the resorting of the psalmist, he made it a habit to get to God, and you and I should as well. But look at the remembrance of the psalmist. Look at verse 5. For thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. Now, I I need to say this because we have so many young people in the room. Those of you that got saved later in life and all the rest of that stuff, you just bear with me, all right? I need to speak to the younger, younger folks. And those of you that were saved little and in church, grew up in church and all that stuff, you better remember something. You better remember who God is. I don't know what it is about second and third generation Christians, but they seem to just forget God altogether. I said second and third generation Christians in church. In Bible-believing churches, faithfully, got all the right standards, participating in everything, running the show, man, building the church, seem to have completely forgotten God. And you know it because they don't seem to have the touch of God on their life, enough power of God on them to blow a net off their shoulder. They want a soul in 10 years. Can't reach out to some drunk. Can't help out some purple-haired girl. Can't pass a gospel track or disciple somebody with tattoos all over them. Hey, something's cotton-picking wrong with you. You forgot who God is. If God was really meaning something to you, if he'd really done something for you, hey, you'd be doing something with your life besides sitting on a church pew feeling like you're better than everybody else. That kind of stuff tears me up. I thank God that before I was born... I was sitting in church nine months before I was born. I was in my mama's belly. You know what that is? That's an unbelievable blessing from Almighty God. When I look around at people that are messed up, and man, I've done so much of it over the years, I, I get so convicted about it now. When I look around at people that are messed up and start criticizing how messed up they are, God forgive me. The only reason I haven't made more mistakes than all the ones that I've made, and I've made a lot of them, and I ain't confessing them to you because they're between me and God, and I ain't proud of them, but I made all the mistakes I made in spite of the fact that I knew better from day one. If you can hear in the womb, I was listening to the likes of Dr. Herbert Noe preaching and Dr. Peter Ruckman preaching, if you can hear in the womb. From the day I was born, I'm hearing good, sound Bible doctrine, rightly dividing doctrine, King James doctrine, raised by parents that are teaching me as a little boy, Dad would teach us to memorize Scripture. We had family devotions that were like, like a torture session. Really, they were, they were rough, man. We were there like we had this thing that we went through, this program we went through every night. 
It was, it was bad. We had scripture memorization. We had Bible reading as a family. We had prayer time. And everybody took their turn praying as a family. It took like 45 minutes, man. It's like we're coming home from church tired. We never miss family devotions. Nope, time for family devotions. <laughs> One day my dad like had a light bulb moment because we all started crying. We were so tired. And he's like, man, what am I doing? You guys can just go to bed. I was like, oh, what a day. You know, there is a God. And it built my faith more than anything else, you know. Memorizing Psalm 119. Not the whole chapter. Portions of Psalm 119. As a, as a little kid, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. As a little boy, that wasn't any of my own doing. That was the goodness of God. You know, if I wanted to as a 45-year-old adult, I could just tear my parents apart. Come on, don't look at me like that. My parents weren't born and raised in Christians' homes. My dad was an Irish Roman Catholic. My mom was an Italian Roman Catholic. Their parents were both uh, had, uh, had uh, alcohol problems and other problems. One of them was a hot-headed Irishman and uh, messed up from the burial detail in World War II. And my mom's dad was a professional boxer raised by his mafia uncle because his dad didn't want him. They, they didn't grow up like I grew up. They didn't have the privilege that they gave me. No, you can pick your parents apart if you want to. Or you can step back and quit being a bitter, harsh, rude. And those of you raised in a Christian home, you can say, man, you know what a blessing it is that my mama drug me to church? My daddy drugged me to church. I tell everybody I was raised on drugs. Drugged me to church Sunday morning. Drugged me to church Sunday night. Drugged me to church Wednesday night. We were doing lines as a kid, you know, one line at a time. Psalm 119, verse 1, first line, second line, third line. You know, when you have been given the privilege of knowing truth early in life, you need to step back and remember God. Because I'm telling you, you won't get away with some things you might watch other people get away with because you have more accountability. And we will pray, God, get you, get you good, get you early, and get you often. Because you know better. You got second generation Christians. You got kids growing up in church and they're getting all ate up by the confusion of sin. Had it so cotton-picking good your whole life, you don't even know how good you have it. And yet this world's bringing so much pressure on them. The temptations are so strong and they're coming from so many different angles that these kids are forgetting. You're forgetting. You're forgetting everything you know. You're forgetting everything that's been put into you. You're throwing away everything God wants to do for you later. You're sacrificing the permanent on the altar of the immediate. And you're a fool if you forget God. He remembered God. He said, thou art my hope from my youth. He knows who holds him up. Look at verse 6. By thee have I been holding up 
from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. You know God knew you when you were in the womb? Got a wild thought. <laughs> my, my substance being yet imperfect. <laughs> when, when you're in your parents' womb... God Almighty knew how tall you'd be, how many hairs were going to be on your head, what kind of health you were going to have, what kind of IQ you were going to have, what color your eyes were going to be. Everything about you, God knew from that point. And you think he doesn't know you now? I believe God has a plan for every one of you. For every one of you, God has a plan. And if you'll follow him, that thing will get accomplished, and I can't even tell you how. But you mark my you just mark my words and follow God. I'm just to, and just wait. Give it five years. That that sounds like a long time when you're young. I am telling you, you do right and you follow God, and I'm telling you, you'll see him do some stuff. Well, how's that gonna work out? I, I'm not God. It just does. You're the only one that can mess it up. God's got a plan for you, but you go ahead and you get all caught up in the confusion of sin. You get on the internet and you start looking at stuff. Hear me out. You kids, hear me out. You start getting on the internet and you looking at stuff you ought not be looking at. It's confusion. You are messing yourself up. I don't care what the kids at school do. They aren't sitting here tonight. You are. God's giving you something. And he's trying to help you. And I'm trying. I know I sound like I'm mean and angry. I'm not. I'm trying to help. I care about every last one of you. And I do not want to see God, the, uh, the devil, come in here and start causing confusion and tearing some of you kids up. You better remember God. I'm little kids at school. Look at this, man. You better remember God. Because God, if he knew you and you and your mama's belly, he knew you'd be standing right there, right then. He knew that little punk would be there trying to get you to do something wrong. He knew that that thing, they're trying to wreck your testimony. Trying to get the Christian kid into the stuff they're into so they can disregard what you try to tell them about God. You're witnessing to them one second and you're looking at stuff you shouldn't the next second. You're confusion. Trying to wreck you, mess you up, man. God's up there in heaven and he's like, I see it. You know what else he sees? He sees when you say no. Goody, goody. Hey, look, when they call me a goody, goody, I I don't care. I can beat them up. Oh, you're a tough guy? Don't beat them up. You'll go to jail and that kind of stuff. You get in lots of trouble. But I just know I can and so I don't care. It doesn't make you a man to do wrong. It doesn't mean you're a tough guy to do wrong. It takes more of a man to stand alone and say, God, deliver me from this stuff. God, I'm resorting to you. I need your help. God, I'm remembering you that you're watching. And God, help me not mess up. That takes a man. You better remember God. He created you and he's carried you this far. Look at verse 7. I'm as a wonder unto many. I can relate to that. I can relate to that. People tell me not to be a pastor. 
People say my church was never going to be a good, sound, Bible-believing church. They sit back and scratch their head. You know what? As far as I shouldn't be a pastor, they're right. The only problem is God chooses weak things and base things and things that are not and things that are to, to just show that he's in it. So the only problem is God called me to do it. I'm a wonder to many. The fact that I'm even standing here tonight with a Bible in front of me trying to do something for God is truly a miracle of the grace and goodness of God Almighty. I'm not saying that doctrinally speaking. I'm not saying it because I know how to say all the right things. I'm telling you it is a miracle of the goodness and grace of Almighty God that I'm here tonight. I better not forget him. You better remember the Lord. He's carried you this far. Which person in this room has kept yourself alive? How many of you, when you lay down and you go to sleep at night, consciously think about breathing? I'm a very, very, very... I, have, I struggle with it. I'm an overprotective freak. My kids can attest to it. My wife can attest to it. We have this daily drill when I get up to go to bed. Make sure all the doors are locked because i got to let the dog out one more time to go to the bathroom and I'm not staying up that late. You know what I mean? Make sure all the doors are locked and the alarm is set. Yes, sir. I have to hear a yes, sir from all four of them. Because I know then somebody's, nobody's, not, they're not all going to forget together. I'm like, I'm like, I'm weird, okay? Yes, I have an alarm. I had a pit bull and a Boston Terrier. I wish I had the pit bull back. I wanted, I had two pit bulls. One died and then the other one was left and then the other one tried to kill the Boston Terrier six times and I finally decided to get rid of it. But I felt great having two pit bulls, a Boston Terrier, a 357, a 238, AR, you know what I'm saying? And an alarm. We're good. And then when I go to sleep, I'm like, Lord, it's in your hands. Please take care of everything. Wake me up if that's what you want to happen. Alarms, let them go off. Dogs, however you want to work it out, I'd be glad to shoot them. Whatever you want, but take care of us. Good night. I'm an overprotective freak. You understand what I'm saying, right? You know, I can't even keep one of my kids alive. While she's sitting on my couch in my living room. God did that. She had her surgery. Grace had been doing all that research as she does. Every time one of us has anything wrong, she figures out stuff like unbelievable. And she's, she's uh, I'm not just pumping her up, it's like legitimately true. And so she was aware that because of where the surgery was at and the extent of the surgery, that blood clots were a threat. Doctor, oh no, she's young, she'll be fine. She walked downstairs and she looked at her and she said, something's wrong. Man, we grabbed her, we threw her in the car, we ran her to the ER. They said, yep, sure enough, she had a blood clot. And the body took care of it before anything happened. She's like, I don't feel good. Like she didn't even hold her head up. She just looked like white. God, she's alive today because of God. I didn't do it. I can't keep my wife alive. She's pregnant with Ava. She got septic from an infection, a kidney infection. She went septic. She's in and out of the hospital. They didn't get it under control enough. They just kind of... She was feeling better, sent her home, so she winds up going back, septic, sitting next to her bed, pregnant with Ava. 
pumping her full of antibiotics and trying to like neonatal intensive care coming in. The doctor's counseling with me, you're going to have to pick between her and the baby. We were like, we don't have a whole lot more time to make the decision. Helpless. Just, just, I can't even keep myself alive. I mean, I figured out the last few weeks how weak a man can get pretty quick. (laughs) You better remember God. You better stop thinking you're more than you really are. And they tell us the baby's going to possibly could be born death as a side effect of the antibiotics. The baby's born, she takes the hearing test and fails. Well, Grace knows how to sign. Not making it up. She she doesn't know everything. She just sort of knows like everything. Like, like, honey, you're going to have to teach me to sign. She does write my messages too, just so you know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) And you have to teach me to sign. We pray. Second test. She's okay. We figured out she has selective hearing. (laughs) She's just way ahead of the curve on implementing it, you know. I... Do you understand the point that I'm making? You guys, not one of us has a promise of making it home tonight. For all you know, you have the picture of health and you eat nothing but, you know, spinach and kale and you got cancer in your body. For all you know. You better remember God. You young people, you need to realize it is God that takes care of you. It is God that keeps you alive. It is God that heals you up. It is God that gets you down the road. It is God that delivers you from sin. It is God that gives you the information you have. It is God that helps you make the right decisions. It is God. It is God. It is God. God. You better remember God. He remembrance of the psalmist. He realized God had carried him this far. Now in verse number 9, and we'll wrap this thing up, notice his request. He says, cast me not off in the time of old age, forsake me not when my strength faileth. Down to verse 17, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. You notice his request, his, his desire, God, Please don't cast me off. As I get older, I want your presence more. God tells Peter, you know, when thou shalt be old, another will gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. What's happening to him as he gets old is he gets weak. He's not as strong as he used to be. And so as he's getting incapable of doing for himself what he wants to do. He's getting incapable of taking himself where he wants to go. He's getting incapable of operating his life the way he wants to operate it. He needs somebody else to do those things for him. Do you know a mature Christian, an old Christian, not not old by age, spiritually somebody who's old is somebody who's weak. But when I'm weak, then am I strong? Somebody who allows God to put on them what God wants to put on them, or to not put on them what God doesn't want to put on them, and then allows God to take them wherever God wants them to go. Like, no agenda for my own life. 
No agenda but him. No desire for my own life. I don't, I, I don't have anything that I want to be. I want God. I don't have anything I'm trying to accomplish for myself. I want God. God, when I'm old and gray-headed, please don't forsake me. You, you want to know something? This is carnal. I'll just, I'll just, I always am anyways. I'll just be real with you. I pray, I genuinely pray that I don't die young. I really don't want to die young. I realize I could. I realize better men than me. I cannot wrap my mind around why God took Brother Lintz out at 55, I think he was, or something like that, years old. Just everybody, everybody everywhere knows greatest preacher, man, greatest preacher we've seen. I mean, he was such a great preacher. Young men got called to preach under his preaching. Just get a desire to preach and hear him preach, man. And he could teach preaching. And he could, believe it or not, he was a really good Bible teacher too. He wasn't just, you know, rip-faced preacher, which is what he's known for, but he could teach the Bible. I, I don't know why God took him out in his mid-50s and everybody scratched their head like, that doesn't make any sense. And sometimes, guys, there's, you can't make sense of it. It's just God's job. God's just God. And he did something that he doesn't normally do. And... You got to just trust him that he knows what he's doing. I, I don't want that to be me. <laughs> Unless there's a rapture. If there's a rapture early on in my life, let's do it. I'm good with that. But I really don't want to die young. I would really like to see all my daughters get married. I would really like to be able to play with my grandkids. I would really like to watch some of you grow up and get married as long as you marry the right person, knucklehead. But other than that, you know, I'd like to see you grow up and get married. I was playing. Kind of. Ish. I'd like to see some of you little ones. I'd like to see your kids in church someday. And I'm already short, but I'll be a little shorter then. And I don't care and I won't care then. I'll just be so happy to see some of you still in church, raising your kids in church. You know what I want? I don't want God to be gone. That's what I ask him for. Because it's not, enough, it's not enough to just try to tell people in this generation how great God is. I'd like to tell the next generation. I would really like to be able to help the next generation realize how great God is. And I'd like to help the generation after that, if I can, realize how great God is. And if that's going to happen, first of all, all that's in his hands. But if that's going to happen... I have got to have God deliver me from confusion. I cannot be having sin creep in and take over my life. You can, you can label it however you want. I mean, moral sin, everybody's mind goes there, drunkenness and drugs and divorcing your wife and all, the, all that stuff. Yeah, that all applies. But, you know, there's a lot of spiritual sins that limit somebody's ministry. You know, gossip, an inability to minister to people, a lack of patience, a lack of gentleness, a lack of love, a lack of charity. I want God to deliver me from all that confusion. I don't want God to forsake me. If God will run the show and take over and move into my life, if I can have God forsake me not, 
then God can use me, a weak, little, frail, sinful vessel, to show everybody else how great he is and how worth it it is to spend your life doing the best you can to walk with him. It's real important that we get delivered from confusion. We're going to go ahead tonight. I'm going to have Anna come. I don't usually do this on Wednesday night, but I feel like we should tonight. I want to give you an opportunity to spend a minute, whether in your pew or with the altar open if you wish to, but why don't you talk to God a little bit about delivering you from confusion and helping you not to forget Him. Helping you to walk with Him. Helping you to put Him first. You know, your life is a lot bigger than just you. There's other, other people, other generations that you can influence. Some of you young people, you can wreck, you can wreck your siblings. You might mess around with it and flirt around with sin and then get right and get away with it, but you might lead your little brother, little sister, or somebody else in the youth group down the wrong road and they might wind up in rehab or dead early because of your influence, because of the confusion of sin. I want my life to be an impact on people for God's glory and for their good. And we need the Lord to deliver us.